Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again for our latest episode of Reckless to Talk. I am Nathan, and this is our bi-monthly interview series spotlighting some of our favorite luminaries in the TTRPG space. This week's guest is everyone's favorite dwarf, warlock, soldier, playing, audio designing, meme slinging member of the Reckless Attack crew, David, a.k.a. Kaskrin Brightmane. David is one of my best friends on and off the podcast, and so much of his work is at the absolute foundations for what makes our show what it is, and it was an absolute delight to get to talk to him at length about so many things, things like creating the Reckless Attack sound, DMing for DMs, optimizing for fun, evil baby, Dungeon Master David, relationships at the table, his hero at the table, and it's not me, and that's fine, I've come to peace with it, and Dunch, uh, but that's enough from me in the preamble here without any further ado is my conversation with david hope you enjoy and see you on tuesday Hi, David. Hi, Nathan. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Welcome to Reckless to Talk, David. <laughs> Thanks for having having me. <laughs> uh, so excited about this, David. You are the final Reckless Attack person for me to interview, at least. And I'm really excited to to have you here and, and talk some talk some David and some talk some D D and D and some TTRPGs. Yeah, I have actually listened to every other interview <laughs> <laughs> that we've been doing, and they're all phenomenal. So I'm excited to be here. Great. And feeling no undue pressure. Oh, absolutely. I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm definitely not, yeah, not stressed or anxious at all about doing this interview. About feeling the great. about the exposure of, yeah. of your personal being to the masses and to Oh God, my personal details. No. <laughs> my my tragic backstory yeah. as a character. <laughs> I've been really excited to talk to everyone, but I'm also really excited to talk to you, of course, because I think I I really enjoy your perspective as a player and game designer and and runner and just like thoughtful individual around tabletop role playing games and have always found uh, for those who haven't listened to all the other times we've talked about this are many hours long side conversations about D&D about <laughs> about games about characters about finicky details of homebrews of all that kind of stuff uh and I really love your perspective balanced against mine and really love inputting that so I'm really excited to get into some fun details yeah even though we had to put a kind of pause on this project from 2019 to yeah. through 2021 <laughs> we did not for a moment ever stop talking about dnd genuinely no no that is absolutely true we we stopped talking about the podcast for a little bit but that was supplanted by us finishing our last campaign yeah. and talking about that yeah and small other details about the podcast so no we you and me and jonathan have a side google hangouts chat that is busy most of the day <laughs> talking about not only D&D, there are memes. Yeah, but there's like usually D&D sprinkled in there. It happens a lot. Yeah. And and when we when we hang out, just the three of us and go out for coffee or something, we're, we have a nice, lovely time catching up for 20 minutes. And then we talk about D&D <laughs> and we're all very happy about it. Yep. Like there's no no judgment or like. I've never, I've never gotten the, that feeling, you know, where like, oh, I don't know how to talk to David if I'm mm -hmm. not playing D&D &D or talking about D&D. &D. And I've never really had that worry with anyone here, even though 
we do just talk about D and D. Yeah, but it's not. It's not because we don't know what else to talk about. It's because we like talking about it to generally end with each other. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, do you remember? And I. It's interesting. And I know you've heard Jonathan's interview because it's already gone out. <laughs> do you remember your kind of initial introduction? to to D&D to tabletop role playing games and that that can of course either be like societally you know like the public consciousness has invaded you and you're vaguely aware of a thing called Dungeons and Dragons or your first kind of real exposure as a player as a uh consumer of of that kind of content I think my first exposure to it was actually when I was very young mm-hmm. I want to say in like mm-hmm. fourth grade <laughs> and like my brother, we went to the library a lot, yeah. you know, and so I saw a lot of Dungeons and Dragons source books there, and I was like, that's cool. Those are some nice pictures. Yes. Let's take a look. And so that sort of just supplanted the idea of like <laughs> what Dungeons and Dragons was in my head, but I didn't do anything more with it at just like D&D rules-wise, mechanics-wise, and, and everything else. But I do have a memory from like after seeing what Dungeons and Dragons was, I would like sit down with my brother like after school and we would chat about like creating these worlds and like these kind of video Uh game kind of characters and thinking back that was actually kind of the beginnings of how I got interested in fantasy was just like I could actually as like a small David fourth year old or fourth (laughs) grader build these worlds and have like people and characters in them and I thought that was like super cool yeah and then from there just went to college and got a little bit more interested in like what D&D actually was. Yeah, yeah. In college, I had heard about a fantastic place called the Dice Dojo. <laughs> Stop me listeners yeah. if you've heard about this <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, if you've heard about the Dice Dojo before, but <laughs> they were running D&D games on Monday and I was like, I have literally no idea how to play this game, but someone is running it. And so I'm going to show up and see what happens. From there, we went from, or I went from playing it to running it to running a home game. And, did you and run it at the Dice Dojo? I did. Yeah, that really? was actually one of my my favorite things to do was to run. Interesting. Games at the Dice Dojo. I never, I didn't know that. And so did you? So you and Jonathan, did you both go in your kind of dipping a toe in, or was this a David adventure that then Jonathan got roped into, or how kind of together were you guys in this venture? I think I actually roped him into it, and we ended up going at the same time, mm-hmm. and we kind of did the transition from player to GM about, about at the same time <laughs> and and would end up because they would run a certain number of tables every yeah. week and yes. so we would end up taking over <laughs> like half of the tables there would be five available tables like, and half of them would yeah, be Zang tables. Yeah, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> likely you're playing with us. <laughs> the Zang yeah, takeover yeah, of D&D. You get the Zang experience <laughs> of D&D. And so were you guys at that point, I can't remember for for Jonathan's interview I recently re-listened and it's all gone from my brain. Um what edition were you guys playing? Uh, at that point. Yeah, so we were playing Pathfinder 1E because okay. I have to specify now. <laughs> it <laughs> yes, was the yeah. first edition. And we got in pretty early. There were only a handful of splat right. books, but it was we played long enough to see yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all of the content that was released. And so it'd be like every couple months, like, what's this new feat? What's this new magic item? And so that kind of actual like continual growth, I yes. think, kept us in Pathfinder for a long time. Cause I if I remember right, 
when we got together to play, had you played any 5e at that point? I can't remember. No. I didn't think so. Yeah. So when we started playing, 5e had just kind of hopped onto the scene and all of the games at the Dice Dojo were slowly being taken over by 5e. And I was like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) It wasn't until we actually started our home game, though, that we I actually started or I got my first taste of D&D 5e. Yeah. So back to back to the Dice Dojo experience. So you started running games. What? There's so many sub questions. But first of all, you show up. It's something that you'd already already been kind of interested in. Like, okay, cool, cool fantasy, make believe, monster killing, heroic adventures. And then obviously you guys got sucked in, uh, I would hope, because oh, now yeah. you've been playing for <laughs> like, yeah, over a decade I was now, say, a yeah. decade or whatever now. Do you remember, uh, and it was it, I asked Sophie this, and I think I've asked everyone this, but do you remember, was there a, a, a particular either feeling or particular moment where that switch kind of got flipped for you? What I mean is, you know, when a new player's playing, there's kind of that moment where they're like, oh, wait, I can do anything or wait, ooh, I can, I get to combine all of these cool class abilities to do this. And ooh, that's really exciting. Was there anything that like got its hooks into you early that went, that made you being from a cur- enthusiastic, curious person to someone who's like, oh, I'm playing this for the next decade? <laughs> That's a great question, actually. I think there was... I don't remember if there was a specific moment, but it it felt pretty early on just like, oh, I'm going to be doing this forever. Mm -hmm. Like, this is is great. This is fun. It really checks off all of the things I like in a game. Like, Mm -hmm. it has the mechanics. It has the the system that everyone is kind of Mm -hmm. constrained to. It has a social aspect. You know, you meet in person and you hang out for four hours to tell (laughs) whatever story. And at the end of it, you come away with more you know more character more story more more everything it's like the the weekly progression of something and so that really was like okay cool i'm gonna be here for a while yeah awesome so do you know do you remember how long you were a player before and were you only playing at the dice dojo at this point at least yeah so i was pretty exclusively a player for i want to say two years and then after that transitioned to being (laughs) exclusively a uh, game master there what called you guys to you know from being a player to be to be a gm i want to say maybe 20 percent of it was you know a lot of people don't usually gm and so there was always a lack and so that was just somewhere i felt that i could step up but 80 percent of it i think was playing with a lot of bad dungeon masters <laughs> <laughs> and and being like i can do this better yep and so then stepping forth taking the effort to to actually run games in a way that I thought people would have more fun with. Yeah, totally. So were these all at this point, were they all, what's the, or, was it an organized oh, yeah. play? What's uh, it called? Pathfinder Society. Path, yeah, were they all, all PFS? Yeah, so these were all then? Pathfinder Society games. So we'd have usually like five to seven tables every week of Pathfinder Society, people running different levels, different mm-hmm. modules, you know, whatever basically players signed up for i don't remember the exact structure of it is it a seasonal thing for pfs or is it just like bring a pfs module and like that's what you're playing yeah so it's ideally meant to be seasonal yeah so they'll have 
they'll actually release adventures every couple of weeks right. or every week, I believe. And you're supposed to run those, but it always gets kind of messed up with the scheduling. So it, sure. it ends up being run whatever you got. Got it. That makes sense. Were there any particular adventures? Do you remember that you run ran or played in that you're like, ooh, I really loved this or, or anything like that? After a while, all the modules kind of bleed together. Yeah, that makes <laughs> you know, sense. You run so many, or you run so many, so many times, uh, you kind of forget the details. But mm-hmm. the one adventure, I believe, was called Eyes of the Ten, and it was kind of the capstone adventure for uh, PFS. Mm-hmm. It was the adventure you play when you hit twelfth level, and this is it before you retire. So it always ends up, you know, you only run it maybe once or twice a year it's a big event you you get like the other players around that have also hit 12th level and it yeah you end up running like a six week long mini campaign just for these players and so that i think was probably like the culmination of my time yeah i would imagine yeah and probably the adventure that's stuck out most to me do you remember much about it uh, not to spoil anything yeah. if anyone's playing pfs or looking for modules but what made it so what made it so memorable i guess is kind of the better question yeah i think it's just the scale of what's available of in, a, in a society campaign because you know from levels one to like 10 they're generally pretty tame in eyes sense. of the ten, you know, you pull out all the stops. Like you start <laughs> with a guild hall or a manor, and then all of a sudden, two giant purple worms that you've never <laughs> seen show up, and you're like, "Deal with that," you know, like suckers, levels. like yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like you guys are powerful, you should be able to deal with this. Here you go. That's cool. So just like the scope of it, like yeah. the epicness, the like book ending of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, cool. How long were you DMing there um, before you moved to home games, and did you do? Did you do them mutually or did you, you know, kind of like switch over to be a home game? Yeah. So I was probably DMing exclusively there for like three years. Mm -hmm. And then towards the tail end of that, starting uh, playing in more home games, playing with Sophie and my brother. And (laughs) there was a bit of mutual overlap, but there was a point where like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like playing home games better. (laughs) So I'm just going to do that. Sorry, guys. Were you, and and that was when you moved to the game that Jonathan DM'd? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, that was, I want to say, one of the first games, if not the first one, that I'd played at home. And my brother, uh, fortunately, offered to run it for <laughs> us. And so we got, uh, you know, him, me, Sophie. I think we got one other person and then one of Sophie's co-workers to play with us and so it was just like us huddled around a table uh in our old apartment rolling dice and going through like a hex crawl and it was like yeah it was it was a ton of fun it was just <laughs> kind of so long ago i don't remember oh yeah yeah, yeah about it, absolutely uh, th- that was also what sophie remembered is like yes it was fun it was pathfinder yeah uh we played it yep yep cool <laughs> good so what for you what does your what's your TTRPG experience about? Um, you know, like when you when you sit down at the table or you 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 think about like oh you know playing the next thing or building the next character or running the next system whatever it is, what parts about it are exciting to you and that could ha- obviously have changed over the years as as you as you have changed as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've definitely changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say so when I was. First starting out as a dungeon master, I was like the mean DM. I was the <laughs> antagonistic DM. 
two two notable moments from that actually like literally the first time i ran a monster i ran a module uh it was like some dumb skeleton you know it has an intelligence <laughs> of one right and in pathfinder you could do this thing called a five foot step yes where, like as a free action you could kind of shift over yep. a little bit and then dodge the next hit or whatever so like my first monster i'm making this dumb skeleton like shift around all the players to avoid <laughs> High their tactical attacks. play yeah. yeah and i got called out on it it's like what the hell is this monster do- <laughs> doing like why is it like and ad- doing advanced player tactics <laughs> and so it's like that that i got uh yeah i got called out on a little bit um yeah i trans <laughs> i fortunately transitioned away from that to being, I think, a dungeon master and a player that focuses more on like, how do you make the players feel cool while they're playing? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. like I really like focusing a lot on like dramatic scenes. I always like when I'm running games, I want to have the players have that moment where they're like, "Fuck yeah!" Like I did, I did the thing. You know, if a if a thief picks locks, like you want to give him a lock pick or whatever. If yeah, you want absolutely. To, yeah. And so I've transitioned, fortunately, from being like that antagonistic DM to someone that kind of hopefully works with the players to like figure out like, what do you want to do? And how can I give you a scene in which that happens? Yeah. Do you, was there a particular, a particular moment or session or, or experience or series of experiences that kind of played a part in that shift do you think or was it just the experience of playing with people over and over and over made you pay attention to the other people or or what was that experience like for you i want to say that there were kind of three distinct moments mm-hmm. uh all of which happened in pathfinder society during those couple of years one was the first time i ever killed a, another player oh. while running a game for them it was like a fifth level module you go down this pyramid into this crypt where there's like a fire mummy that's being, you know, stored there. And he obviously like uh, a good trope is, comes back to life. Yeah. So he ends up casting all these fire spells and the players are like dodging them and, and trying to fight down this mummy. And as a last resort, he has like one level three spell left. So of course it's fireball and (laughs) the players are ganging up on him. And I make the decision Ah. to have the mummy cast it on himself. Yep. So he basically like blows himself up Uh saying like, I am, you know, I, I embody the fire Lord witness me Yep. and ends up killing one of the players in that. And it was like, okay, that was neat. And I, I felt good for like a second, you know, like when you run a game, like it's like, Absolutely. okay, I, did, I killed a player. And, like, it was, hey. well, and it was in character. It was an in-character yeah. villainous evil, like, yeah. you know, strategic high level move. Absolutely. You would feel good about that for, for a bit. Yeah, for like a minute. <laughs> and then you see like the, the player and he's like, I don't have enough gold to resurrect my character. I guess he's just dead. <laughs> and like that feeling was like, oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. We were having fun. Now we're not. Yeah. Now, now we're, we're and now fun. we're not having fun. Yeah. And then, kind of to that same moment, um, I you know obviously love building characters. Like I love optimizing for for whatever, and that really started in in Pathfinder Society. Of course. So the the character that I built actually for that Eyes of the Ten adventure 
was like with everyone else at the table stupidly powerful <laughs> yeah and the thing about eyes of the ten is it's only it's like one scaled for a number of players and it's scaled for like an older power level before all these flat books got came oh, in before yeah. all the got it. yeah before all the power creep and so you know it it I, I kind of like ruined that adventure for myself a little bit because, you know, you, you build up to this for months, if not years, yeah. you go through it. And then if you're just like, OP, <laughs> you know, like we just, I just kind of like trounced through it and it's like, wow, I really ruined this experience for my, myself. Yeah. There's no catharsis <laughs> yeah, exactly. for that big epic yeah. last adventure before retirement. Right. And so after that, I was like, why why do I play this this game? And <laughs> huh. yeah, that sort of slow transition after those two experiences uh into like, okay, how can I make sure it's not just me having fun, but everyone mm-hmm. at the table having fun? And so we I ended up building more characters that were like support or building more characters with my brother that were like kind of just memes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh at the table and and it ended up like you know, when you go there with the goal to have fun, it's yeah. different than when you go there with the goal to win. Yeah, totally. I'm curious. I I, I didn't actually know that you'd ran so much at the Dice Dojo. I, I don't think you've run even that much for our group, unless I'm forgetting something other than a Blackbird yeah. one-shot session. I don't think you've run any other anything else, have you? I haven't really run much for this group, but yeah. that's mostly... like I, I honestly really enjoy DMing, and I would like to get back into it it's just like a time thing totally um because like my brother i really like to prepare ahead of time or at least like understand motivations of villains and like why are things like the way they are i just like don't have the brain space now to to plan that out in a way that i think is like satisfying for the players yeah or for you i would imagine it sounds like where like if you have a threshold of like here's what it takes for me to be happy and fulfilled doing this work and if I can't do that, then like, yeah, eh, less but like, good. I think like I've run still a lot of Pathfinder. I think my my brothers probably mentioned this too, but my favorite system is Numenera, uh, mm-hmm. or running the the Cipher system. Like pretty much any of those games, I will run forever because they're so fun. And then like yeah, one shots here and there. I'm curious. Do you at this at this point right now, and and maybe it's changed. Uh, I'm sure it's changed. How do you self-identify as a TTRPG player? Do you do you think of yourself as I'm a player? I'm a DM who plays a lot. I am, you know, kind of like what's the for you, what's the kind of balance between the the multifaceted identities of players and GMs and DMs? I think at, at this point, I am pretty thoroughly a player, for better or worse. I, you know, I haven't run things for a couple of years now so that's kind of where i'm at but but that you know but even then i would say that that the the perspective in mind space is different where yeah. like you know like oh yes i i play a lot and i i am therefore a player but like in my in my heart in my perspective madm i think is a very is a very valid thing if that is true or any variation thereof and i think that's the best part about dming too and actually like everyone should run a game if you haven't before or or are interested in trying it is it gives you a lot about that perspective yes you know that was probably the one thing that pulled me from like my (laughs) i have have the numbers to really you know optimizing for fun at the table yeah and and i've said this i think during some of the other interviews and and say this all the time but i think one of the great joys of running for you guys 
is that everyone everyone has DM'd before. Some of you have DM'd extensively before, and everyone is always very aware on the player side of things of trying to make sure everyone's having fun and feeling good and feeling comfortable. And so that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, but yeah, it's that's interesting that I, I didn't know you had this breadth of <laughs> running experience, even after we've played all this time. When you get to the table or or when you're in a game, what is exciting to you about, you know, about like, what do you show up for? What excites you? What is like the most, aha, this is what I, this is what like the experience is about for me. Yeah. I want to say like in, so like there's kind of, two things i really like about playing games like one's in the short term and then one's in the long term yes so in the short term like it goes back to those kind of dramatic scenes for me Mm -hmm. like when i Mm -hmm. build a character when i think about like what i want a character to do it it starts with a scene or like with a feeling oh cool and then when i'm playing i'm always kind of looking for those you know like how can i make my character shine how can i make another character shine like how can we you know get that like cool vibe energy at the table yeah um but then in the long term like with the last campaign that you ran nathan like the thing that i think brought me the most joy was seeing how the characters developed over time totally and it you know it's obviously specific you have to have like a uh good table you have to have like a long-running campaign but just seeing like the characters that everyone brings to the table morph over time Absolutely. and learn more about themselves is really satisfying to me yeah definitely and and that was that was something i i really wanted to talk to you about was the process of building characters and playing characters the zang half of the table definitely um gets a reputation for being numbers <laughs> folks right yep um and not a not an ill-deserved one but but not certainly you are much more than just number crunchers but i'm i'm really interested for you um especially knowing how much thought and how much you know kind of fine-tuned adjustment that went into making Kaskrin for you, both mechanically and backstory-wise, and are still happening. How does that process start for you, and what's kind of your mindset going in? Like, what are you looking for? What's important to you? Kind of what what, is that, what does that process look like? So when I... <laughs> this mostly applies to Kaskrin, because for my last character, I definitely... <laughs> Did not do this at all. For Kaskrin, like I said, it really starts with like a feeling that I want to have at the table. Yeah. And so uh, I'd actually just got done playing a monk uh, homebrew class uh, before Kaskrin. And I really like that sort of physicality mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to punch things. I'm going to hold doors and use them as shields. I'm going to like climb stuff. And so that was the energy I wanted to bring to Kaskrin. Yeah. And then it became like, okay, I really want to like, have that feeling of hitting something really hard and like, <laughs> yes. you know, with like with the heavy weight. And so it's like, okay, hammer and like having him be kind of like uh, a shield, like a rock. And so he, he ended up just being a literal rock yeah. with a, with a hammer that, that runs in uh, and like, you know, punches things, has that very like physical interaction with the world instead yeah. of like magic or whatever. And then from there I will find mechanics and class and, and all of that stuff. But one thing that I, I really like doing, actually, is finding homebrew. Um, Definitely. Because when when I'm, like, looking for mechanics or looking for a system, I'm actually always looking for 
balance mm-hmm. like how does it feel while i'm playing is it underpowered yes. is it overpowered and like trying to find that middle ground and is it fun yeah yeah is it is it fun not only for me but for everyone at the mm-hmm. table because like you know you can be the star of the show but if everyone else is like okay well he can just do whatever then it's no fun or if you're you know lagging behind also no fun for you so like i'm looking for is it fun on the table but then also like do the mechanics mesh well mm-hmm. you know like does this character have like the right number of bonus actions it can do and the right number of movement options that yeah. it has so yeah. it's like you're never like if it flows really yeah. really well flows a good way to yeah, put it that's what i'm looking for the, the perspective of that of feel of starting with a feeling having a feeling and kind of an emotional scene for lack of a better term yeah. i think is is perfectly valid I think all of you have really strong individual traits as role players. Steve is always there to like set stuff up. Jonathan is always there to step forward and give things for other people to react to, or will step into a scene and be like, yes, I'll go along for whatever ride this is. Sophie is always there making in character choices and grounding everything that she does in the reality of the character and kind of, forcing everyone in a good way, in a positive way to kind of elevate their game. And something I really enjoy about you as a player is your, your willingness, not just to do memes, uh, but also (laughs) that, but to take dramatic chances and to just like step out into the void and be like, I don't know what this is going to (laughs) do, but it feels interesting and, and not mean or selfish, but like interesting. So like, let's dip a toe here and see what we can mine and have us all react to this interesting thing. So I'm curious, kind of knowing what you've talked about a little bit about having that feeling that you're rooted in, having uh, at least emotions and scenes and drama that you want to get to prepared or, you know, kind of visions of when you sit down at the table or in the midst of role playing or whatever, What's your kind of mindset or what are you looking for? What are you kind of striving for? Or what kind of things are you looking for openings to be like, ah, okay, cool. I see this is, this is, there's an opportunity for this. Let's, let's, let's leap at it. So I think what I'm usually looking for, and I think you, you pointed it out perfectly is I'm looking for ways to kind of get other characters out of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. in that desire to like see how characters grow i'm like i like presenting them with situations that maybe they didn't think of like in our podcast early on kaskrin's the one who alerts the grung army to where everyone is and kind of pulls the whole whole force and so seeing like how do people react to that how do i react to that that's cool for me i yeah that's i think a wonderful example of exactly that, where it was a big decision, right? And a one that impacted a lot, and but one that you strode into without knowing how you were going to react. And then you took the time to then be like, okay, what does this mean for Kaskrin that he did this? Or what is, you know, how does he feel about that he did this? Right. And like all those other implications. And you you didn't let it just be let it be the normal kind of like, okay, cool. We'll just meticulously go. This is like, no, let's, what's the cool, what's the most dramatic thing. (laughs) And let's, let's do that. Yeah. Like what's like, I like to find the cool thing, you know, like everyone's like, okay, let's do that Mm -hmm. and and see kind of what happens. But it's like, okay, how does Valeska react? How does checkers react? How do, you know, how does self react to now this 
onslaught and what Castron has done. Mm-hmm. For those for those sorts of of things, when you are playing games specifically, and, and I'll talk about kind of other properties generally, but specifically at the table, so to speak, what are the kinds of stories? <laughs> that you enjoy not just individual stories but it can be but what are the sort of feelings that you like what are the sort of opportunities that you like what are when you see that dramatic moment what are the kind of dramatic moments that you really enjoy you know injecting yeah. into into the the proceedings yeah so this this actually is like a couple questions rolled into one yeah. and i want to step back a little bit so Castrin is actually kind of the uh flip side of the coin's of the characters that I'm used to playing, yes, which is usually the definitely. chaos gremlins that yes. uh, my brother is now playing as checkers. <laughs> yes, and so like, you were that you were. Yeah. We talked about it in the Jonathan episode. We've talked about it in Sophie's episode. But of you, you being the agent of chaos yeah. most of the time. Where last campaign, Jonathan was just the goodiest of two shoes. Yeah, of all time, maybe. And yeah, that it's interesting that you have stepped into that. Yeah, that you have stepped away <laughs> from that role. But I think, like, I actually really like playing or reading stories about the anti-hero. Mm. Uh, someone who is, like, you know, maybe, like, a little bit grungy, maybe a little bit evil and not meant for what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. But ends up, like, stepping up or uh, finding himself in a position to do good and and choosing to go for it. Yeah. In spite of everything. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so there are kind of, like, two sources that I really like for that. One is a book called The Blade Itself, which is, I think, the first book of a uh, a trilogy called The First Law. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And it's about uh, a character, Logan Ninefingers, who is a barbarian, and he's like, he's got like nothing going for him. Like, you know, he just like ends up like falling off this cliff and is like, I'm, you know, like, why would I want to save anyone, but ends up going on this epic adventure to, you know, quote unquote, save the world. That really resonates with me yeah but also like all of the warhammer 40k like grim dark super grungy <laughs> kind of kind uh-huh. of worlds just yelling about heresy but it's just like you know in that kind of darker world you can still find the heroes yeah uh you know wherever they might be and so i really like that kind of like vibe and aesthetic and like those are the stories I like to tell when i am playing characters it just happens huh. like Kaskrin is like not that because i'm trying well, something different i i would i would actually say i would push back just a little bit on that because i think i think you have been striking a very interesting balance with Kaskrin, where he is he is at his heart a good person right and wants to do good and then i think there is a you know it's like a the peanut m&ms of dnd yeah. characters where his peanut core is or you know crispy core or whatever your preferred m&m core is uh and then there is a milk chocolate layer of <laughs> like being a little bit you know un- inexperienced or a little bit of a fuck up in specific ways yeah. or still still figuring things out right we're like he is not the perfect ultimate hero he shouts out things he is still trying to figure out how to deal with his own emotions about some things and about how best to interact with people and how to be the person that he wants to be and that he thinks he can be and then there's a nice candy coating shell on the exterior (laughs) of of that of all that kind of like complexity of okay but he's still choosing to push past the mistakes the pain the whatever the just hardship 
we're like, yeah, I could have just continued to be a town guardsman and mm-hmm. that's easy, but I am making a choice to go out and do more. So I think it's still very much in that genre, just without as much chaos. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Or like as much like kind of evil or whatever. Right. On the exactly. Exactly. But, but I mean that in a good way where yeah. I think you have really come up with a still, even, even as it is different, your kind of natural sensibilities to have a character who chooses to do good in spite of their instincts or in spite of the world or in spite of their circumstances has just created a more nuanced. Yes, I'm a good yeah. guy, yeah. <laughs> which he still is yeah. at his core, but has all the levels and complexity that an anti-hero or whatever still might. <laughs> well, uh, self high five. Yeah. So. Gr- cool. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Is, my, is the point. Thank um, you, I would like to step back just a little bit. I am. I'm curious. You have been playing with your brother, Jonathan, for a decade, whatever, plus now you've been doing fantasy make-believe since fourth grade. (laughs) And you've also been playing with Sophie for a very long time now. And they are, I, you know, don't don't think I'm remiss in saying, obviously, two of the most important, most close people in your life. (laughs) And I am really interested, especially kind of from your perspective. I'm curious. We'll we'll start with Jonathan, just because chronologically (laughs) he makes the most sense. How how has playing tabletop role playing games, playing and thinking about it and kind of being in the identity and headspace of as as people who play tabletop role playing games, how has that, if it has, colored, affected, or changed the relationship that you've you've had with Jonathan o- over the years? I think it's so it's mostly been a nice thing that <laughs> like we've we've of done. But I think it's also important like you know when you are playing dungeons and dragons it's always nice to have that person who you can talk to and like radiates the same energy back yes. and that just creates that like wonderful feedback loop yeah absolutely and my brother is really like is really that person for me mm-hmm. i think it's cool as like a way for me to learn more about him actually yeah of yeah. like you know what interests him like what characters does he like to make what uh things that he, does he like to play and like that helps me I don't know, just like it's weird because we're brothers, obviously, but we just like learn more about him. And, no, definitely. Yeah. You know. What have you learned about your brother? And not even necessarily in kind of the player character DM strategy kind of way or like the nuts and bolts kind yeah. of way. I think it's just like how much he cares about what he's doing, mm-hmm. how much attention he to detail he puts into what he you know likes to do what he works yeah, hard for absolutely seeing him even prep for our first adventure which was a massive hex crawl like he would go through every room and think about like how do all the factions yes. work together like if they go through this corridor what happens but even to like the smaller details of how can i make sure they find this secret tunnel you know over here and and see where it goes and that to me i think was something i that i didn't know mm-hmm. that was really interesting to learn of just like how much he how much effort he puts into the things he cares about yeah and i have a a similar question about about sophie as well but first a small detour on that particular route i heard from sophie both in the interview and just kind of generally but i'd love to hear your perspective as the person who was reaching out to sophie (laughs) to get her into the hobby 
Do you remember what your kind of pitch was or what your the way you sold it to Sophie and what that felt like? Because I know, at least for me, being kind of vulnerable in that way and being like, here's a thing I like. You might like it, too, is a very, you know, is a very nerve wracking thing, especially as early. I don't remember exactly how early you guys were in the relationship at that point, but relatively, as I recall, to do that and kind of bring her in and hope for the best. Do you remember what that experience was like? I actually don't remember what that experience so, was I mean, like. it's been a long time yeah. and you guys have gotten married since. So, right. <laughs> But I actually do remember feeling that way when I pitched doing this podcast with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and like basically all that happened was I said, hey, Nathan is wanting to do a podcast. I would like to do it. Would you also like to do it with me? And she it just immediately said yes, <laughs> which blew me away because like not necessarily doing a like this podcast yeah. has been something I've wanted to do, but doing a podcast, any podcast or any creative endeavor has been something I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so bringing that kind of like energy into, yeah. hey, here's something I really want to work on <laughs> yeah. to my wife. Yeah. And then having her immediately say, like, yes, let's do it. Yeah. The affirming, been, like, yeah. not only do I support you in doing it, but also I want to be involved. Like enthusiastically involved. Yeah. So that was that was very nice. Yes. For for you, what's it like playing at a table with your wife regularly and with your with your long term partner and with someone who you live with, have a beautiful dog son with, yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff? What what's that been like over the years? Just kind of first and foremost. Yeah, I think it is like one just a cool shared hobby. Like yes. you know, we have like Dungeons and Dragons things all over our house, and that's just <laughs> neat. Yes. Um, but I think in the same way it really helps me know that like hey i found my person yes you know like how creative she is how you know how much attention to detail she has how much she likes being silly and goofy with me in game or out of game is very affirming and so yeah like so playing with her it you know in that same way kind of just has that same back and forth energy yeah hey you like this i like this and it's a good time for both of us yeah almost an an extension of what you know, what works about the relationship in a lot of ways. Right. Oh, cool. We're just, again, shared hobbies. We're the, the enthusiasm is still there just in a different group setting. Right. So has, have you much in the same way of, of Jonathan, has there been anything that you have learned about Sophie in the same way that you've kind of, or, you know, learned not necessarily in an unveiling way, but in a kind of been able to appreciate way also totally valid of being able to play with Sophie and kind of watch her in this very different than normal life setting. Yeah. I'm actually like constantly surprised about what kinds of characters she plays Mm. and what, Mm -hmm. like what she likes to do in game. Yeah. Like in our last campaign, her barbarian Umbra got into a very, uh, quote unquote explicit relationship <laughs> with uh, another NPC. And yes. I was like, okay, you're bringing that into the game. Cool. All right. Yes. Yeah. I think we were all like, we were all very yeah. for it. And it was all very like, everyone at the table is cool yeah. with it and delighted in it. It was all very like, thumbs up, cool. But everyone was like, oh. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> I was not expecting that energy from Sophie. And I'm like, cool i'm here for it and it was delightful yeah like it was was always hilarious it was wonderful and and joyous and meaningful but i just i i love seeing like in the same way as my brother like knowing more about what she cares about yeah for me personally i don't have a lot of 
D&D paraphernalia. Like, I don't have a lot of dice. I don't have a lot of books. But she she, she, <laughs> she loves does. the books. Yeah, she <laughs> loves the dice. And so it's like, that's cool for me to, to just learn that she likes collecting stuff. Yeah, and, and of just witnessing joy in yeah, your partner, I right. would imagine, is yeah. just always a, always a plus. Yeah. Like, I remember when we went to our first Gen Con and we basically just ran over to all the different dice booths and saw, like, all the cool <laughs> stuff, like, all the ones that are made yeah. from meteorites and everything. And I'm like... I yeah, you know. the, the few times you guys have gone to big conventions, it has always been hilarious to have Sophie come back yeah. and report on all of the things that she saw and either bought or wanted to buy. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any any creative like kind of mentors or heroes, whether it's TTRPGs, whether it's other creative people, whether it's just people in life where you're like, hey, this person you know, acts like this, comports themselves like this. And I like, I like to model myself after them as a player, person, DM, whatever. Uh, is it bad actually if I say Steve? No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Of course not. Cause he was one of the, sorry, not sorry, not sorry, Steve, if you're listening to this, <laughs> but he was one of the first people I actually met at the dice dojo. Yes. One of the same. first, yeah. First tables <laughs> I played with. Literally yeah, my first all, table. It yep. all goes back to Steve, but over the years, just seeing, the creative energy that he brings when he's like making characters and when he is playing and and having a good time with it but also just his mindset from playing so long ago and playing yes. like earlier editions like he pokes everything with a 10 foot stick first even though like yes. D&D 5e <laughs> you really don't have to do that anymore yeah it's not the same kind yeah, of thing right. but but i love just his perspective in the game and like learning too that he likes you know he like he runs a lot of games and he he enjoys doing that and so like steve, steve is actually kind of my hero yeah uh because you know i love the energy he brings to the table i love like what he's doing for his friends and his community and, and running games uh and that's just super cool for me <laughs> No, I think I'm just gonna like gush about everyone wonderful. at the table, basically. Good is what that's, I'm saying. That is yeah. that is the ideal yeah. ideal experience <laughs> is just uh secretly telling everyone your big strong emotions right. uh yeah. on, on recording. And you guys can hear about this later. So Right, exactly. And they won't know until it's too late. <laughs> it's no out, one, it's out no on one else, you, only you and I can hear this audio, David. <laughs> um <laughs> this is this is gonna sound like a like very stupid transition, but a, a very stupid transition that also weirdly works. I was was curious to get a little bit into the technical side of things with you. You are one of the editors. We're talking about sound and editing sound. and who gets to hear episodes. Audio quality. Mm. Um, but you, so you're one of the editors, obviously, of our podcast and probably the one most responsible for honing in on the sound and the fiddly bits and fine-tuning a lot of stuff obviously jonathan did a lot of stuff too and does a lot of stuff still actively but i know how much just like <laughs> single-minded passionate focus you put into making sure our shit sounds good and so i was i was curious a what part of that if any uh, is is in so interesting to you and if you could just kind of talk a little bit about kind of the journey of you kind of dipping a toe in and kind of becoming now someone who has opinions and thoughts and kind of a little bit of expertise on this to the point where like, hey, we get complicated a lot or we complimented a lot on how good we sound. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that is is your doing. Uh, as Steve likes to say, how much time do we have left? <laughs> yeah, pl plenty, always. So I think as to the the reason why I do 
what I do <laughs> is I knew, I think when I wanted to, to do a podcast, you know, I wanted it to sound good. And yes. that's like a pretty simple reason. Like I just wanted to sound good. Yes. Uh, that was all. I think when you and Jonathan and I were having earliest discussions, that was like, yeah, number on the table one, like, immediately. Like, of like, we have to have good audio quality. Yes. And it has just spiraled from <laughs> from a early interest in like, hey, what are these kinds of mics and everything into now our full setup into reaching that that perfect audio uh, that hopefully graces our listeners' ears. And so, like when we first started, uh, we actually, you know, we're sitting around your table, Nathan, and outside of the iPhone that we just plopped in the middle yes. of the table, we got these like whatever, like lavalier or like lapel God, mics. I even forgot we did that. Yeah, it we, was so long ago. We got two so... of those, yeah, <laughs> and like hooked myself and my brother up to see if we could like sync our audio and make it sound good. And spoilers, it sounded <laughs> terrible. And, and spoiler alert, we're not using yeah. that system. So <laughs> we're not using that. <laughs> and it it went from there to you know, researching like what kind of mics were out there, what kind of setups there were. And I remember we had a lot of space limitations yes. uh, when we were first starting out. And so we didn't have anywhere to put all of these microphones and all the stands and all the wires and everything. So I went over to a friend's house who, you know, he owns his house. He's got like some spare wood and power tools and everything. As, uh, as you do as a yeah. homeowner. And I just coerced him to be like, hey, let me use some of this wood. <laughs> and I like hacksawed this like dumb like wooden platform that we could just it was art that i could just like screw all of our mic stands into and it ended up just making like this giant spider thing it was beautiful i posted pictures on social media you can find it somewhere on our profile yeah but i just i remember just like the sheer like you said single-mindedness of like i'm just gonna get this done and you know after that and like months of fiddling with reaper and all of our figuring out how that works how the audio interface works how like and listening to a lot of our own voices, uh, <laughs> uh, transitioning into what we have now, which is like, quote unquote, studio. Yes. Between like the table, the mics, but also just we're, we're actually recording in a pretty tiny room. Mm-hmm. And so I know in listening, the sound <laughs> would bounce off the walls and sound pretty echoey. Yes. And so we have these giant sound panels up all around the room. And I went to like for like a month to all these different thrift stores and I bought like this specific acoustic foam that would absorb specific frequencies of sound. (laughs) And I spent like a month and a half building these huge sound panels uh, to try and, you know, optimize for audio quality as best I could. And uh, yeah, it's just like, it's now it's kind of just like a cool passion of mine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And like, I love talking about this stuff. I love like, you know, helping other people, for if they need help with it, I guess. I'm still learning. I don't know a lot. Right. Not, no, yeah. we're not, none of us are professionals yeah. at literally yeah. any of the things that we're doing, yeah. I don't think. But it's like it's been kind of cool and just searching for what I think is a good sound. Yeah. And trying to to build to build that out. Yeah. It's been really, really cool to watch you enter that space and be and have really informed refined opinions about it in a good way in a good way of like i know what 
I know what sounds good to me. I know what we think we should be doing and all mm-hmm. futz with it and make it sound good. To your earlier question, like I feel I consider myself kind of like a player producer at this point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like I I actually really like all of the the technical aspects of putting a podcast together and all like the actual play stuff. Uh I don't know why. It's just really, it's really exciting yeah. and interesting to me. So I love doing it. Absolutely. Again, I I love doing the weird hard work of social media. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's yeah. it's neat. It's it, fun. It, yeah, it fills my soul. And <laughs> yeah, so I keep exactly. Doing it. Uh, but this is all a, a long-winded way of getting to me being able to say that everyone has put in a ton of work in this and continues to put in a ton of work and emotion and effort into this podcast. But uh, this is my nice, lovely opportunity <laughs> to tell all all the listeners that that y- without the amount of work that you have put in and continue to put in, that the we just wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> kind of first of all, <laughs> and it definitely would not be nearly as as good and polished as it is. And that everyone needs to know that, and everyone <laughs> should everyone should hope and find the Davids in their life <laughs> to make all of their dreams come true and uh, do all the incredible work that you have done. So Thanks, uh, thank you. And everyone should give you credit for it. When you're playing tabletop role-playing games, is there, do you, do you have any, any particular memories or moments that made you emotional at the, at the, at the tabletop basically of playing a game, running a game, for good for bad for heartbreak for joy whatever i think it was actually at the end of our last campaign that you ran Mm -hmm. i was playing a a pretty dumb character called the baron (laughs) i admit it it was a dumb character he was a beautiful Uh, soul we all hated we all hated how much we loved and hated him he he, for those like you've probably seen that picture of like slap happy the clown or whatever that comes in as a joke character yes. and then 40 sessions in he's like <laughs> yeah. it's literally my favorite yeah. D meme yeah. of all time the baron was just that yes and he had a at the end of the campaign he had a, a book of knowledge that he wanted to get like arcane dark knowledge that, yeah it was that, literally yeah. the book of vile darkness yeah. for for the D folks out there that's that's just what it was yeah and the baron was the character who was like i'm gonna do whatever i want for knowledge so i'm gonna get that book yeah and my brother was playing oliver the do-gooder the do-gooderiest yeah. do-gooder yeah it was like i'm gonna destroy that book and there was a a moment at the end where oliver uh, gets the book from his uh, stepfather, you know, after killing him, basically. Yes. And part of the deal in between the Baron and the and Oliver was Oliver would let the Baron have the book yes. after he got it in exchange for letting Oliver meet his stepfather and and have that final battle. Uh, while the Baron just sat trapped in a giant force cube. Yes. And long story, yada yeah, yada, yeah, yeah. things, high level yeah, spells, right. etc. And the all and Oliver said, No, I'm gonna keep this book. And that moment was like the epitome of like what I look for in a yes. D game where like yes. both of us are out of our comfort zones. Like <laughs> we're obviously, you know, cool as people, but now we're exploring like how do our characters interact where Oliver has now broken his oath to the Baron, you know, which is something that Oliver would never no, do. No. And the Baron is like, well, I respect you as a friend, but you are now stealing everything that I hold dear. Yes. Like, how does that that work while we can still, like, remain friends and partners? And so that ended up being, like, pretty emotional to work through mm-hmm. along with just, 
you know, like an hour long scene at the end when Oliver and the Baron are talking around a campfire. That was uh, the coolest shit I've yeah. ever been a part of. Right. And like the book is somewhere else and we're like still like we're navigating how do these two characters interact with what's just happened. It was such a messy, confusing, yeah. emotional ending. And for the last like 40 minutes of it, I didn't say a, a word. <laughs> and you guys literally, you guys just sat around as people who at your cores didn't agree with each other a lot. Um, very different people. Like not like the golden tree where the golden tree is like, oh no, but like I respect you and yeah. I like you. You're cool. I want you to succeed. That adventuring group was like, we're weird, strange bedfellows. Yeah. And like, I think I might not like you, but like, I respect you, but do I? And, and, but you guys had this wonderful closing scene of just you, you navigating, like you said, all the strangeness in character for like 40 minutes, just talking about what it all meant, basically. <laughs> yeah. That was just like the culmination of years of like, yeah, we're all kind of weird and don't belong here. Yeah. And then just finally exploring like the the end of our journey together, basically. Yeah. And and knowing that you had like you had made comrades for life, but not necessarily, you know, friends yeah. for life. But it, like it was complicated where you had been through all this together, but we're the next day probably going to be going different places, right. you know, and, and that you were going different directions, having different goals and that this was the end of your time together. It was fascinating. Yeah. And so cool. So that was, that was very emotional for me and very cool. At the risk of going too long, I have many <laughs> other questions, Great, but I will skip them to go to the lightning round. Like I've told everyone, these are just your run of the mill questions you can answer with one word if you'd like. You don't need to feel the need to expand on anything. You can just say purple and I will be like, cool, sounds good. Or you can talk more in depth. Uh, and if you don't have a good answer, that's fine too. But David, is your glass half full or half empty? Can I can I do a cop out answer and say it's like a quarter full most of the time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it really rounds up or down on the given day, so I'm just going to say it's about a quarter full. Okay. What excites you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, I Weirdly, I think it goes back to when I'm like homebrewing stuff or thinking mm -hmm. about that. It's like finding that zen mm -hmm. of like when you, when you make something that just like, ooh, it just fits together really nicely mm -hmm. and it's like super fun to play or like flows really well. That's what I... I really like and look for mm -hmm. what does not excite you creatively spiritually or emotionally i think it's like people that look down on others for no reason mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like you know if you know more than someone else like come at it at a, at a place of like i'm going to teach you something and not as like wow i know this information <laughs> and i'm holding it from you. like mm -hmm. i used to do like um like board game design and there'd be like people on the internet are kind of like that. And I'm like, man, that's not cool. Yep. Yep. Totally get that. We still really should redo that custom drag racer game at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great time. <laughs> what is your favorite sound? <laughs> I don't know if that came across, but I, I heard, I heard it. Yeah. I actually, I like like beatboxing and the sounds oh, that like, people can make uh -huh. with their mouths. Like, I think that's just cool. Absolutely. 
What sound do you hate? Sophie knows this, but there's like a specific sound of like chalk against a chalkboard. Uh-huh. Like I cannot stand just like regular chalk on a chalkboard. It, yep. Like it, it's not, it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite word? Brilliant. Ooh. What is your least favorite word? I think it's, you know how there's brunch? It's the combination of lunch and dinner. Because mm-hmm. you either have liner or dunch. And both of them are bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that though that is my least favorite combo of words. <laughs> I will I I am I am trying to be neutral in these and letting you answer freely, but I'm giving you a meaningful yeah. <laughs> look in agreement. Dunch is terrible. <laughs> what tabletop role-playing game or D&D monster have you not faced or run that you would love to? You know, surprisingly, I've never run a gelatinous cube. Ooh, really? Yeah, I have been around them a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I have thrown many gelatinous cubes at you, in fact. I've been adjacent to a lot of gelatinous cubes, but I never run one. And I think it would be really cool to design an encounter around it. Yes. Just like, how can I shuffle the players into this (laughs) non-moving cube? Yep. 100%. What is your favorite adventure of all time? This can, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tabletop role playing game. It doesn't have to be one that you experience directly. It could be an adventure novel that really struck, you know, struck you. It could be a small mini arc that you watched on a stream. It can be uh, whatever, uh, 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 something you designed and have never run. What, what is your favorite? Can I actually have two answers for this one? Of course. One of them is called Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Ah, yes. Yeah, and it's like a old school one e kind of adventure. But I read one that was that took place in a mountain, and you have to like climb up this snowy mountain and and enter the shack and hang out there for a while, and then take a, a winding path through it. But through all of the uh adventure there's all of these traps that are kind of like that uh i don't know if you've ever seen that like kaizo mario or like uh i want to be the guy type games but there's just something Mm. that just like you touch something wrong and it kills you yes okay got it yeah it's just like it the whole adventure is just like a jerk to you for no reason (laughs) it's like Uh in the shack like there's a clock i don't know if i'm spoiling anything but there's like a clock but it just looks regular but until you turn the hands back and forth you don't realize it alters time like it takes you back and forth through time for no reason. <laughs> and then like it's just there. Yeah. And like there's a ton of cursed items. And if you basically don't have a cleric with you in your party, you'll just die because you can't uncurse <laughs> these items. And so I, I actually I love that energy of like, ha, suck it, players. Uh your your wife beautifully beautifully described you as a as a player and DM as uh as someone who cares a lot is certainly there for the fun of others but is also there for the memes oh yeah and 100 i think that is <laughs> a, a prime example yeah. of like well i'm here for the memes and the aesthetics of yeah. memes yeah. and that's what this adventure is yeah but there's also another game uh, or another system called the dark eye that i played once at gen con and i don't remember a ton about the the game itself but the the system was one where all of the weapons had differing amounts of die you rolled depending on how much strength you had. Mm-hmm. And so a dagger would do a D4 if you had 10 strength and a D6 if you had 12 strength. And spells took a round to cast. So like I had a mage that would just have to hang out for a round until I could finish casting my spell. And I'm like, I really like that kind of uh, like 
vibe of stuff's just harder for some reason, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. So those are two. I thought that was cool. What is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time? And again, can be your character, can be one you played with, can be one you watched, whatever. Um, I don't know that I have one. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Last question. What gives you hope? I think in that same vein of like, hey, the world's dark, but there's people still trying to do good. Yeah. It's that there are still people that like actively try every day to make the world a better place, even mm -hmm. in this kind of weird situation that we're living in. You know, people who run nonprofits for nonprofit's sake, people who, who help others or like just beacons of their community because mm -hmm. that's what they care about. And it's like, hey, we can all still be like good people and nice to each other because they're still still doing it. And mm -hmm. so like, yeah, that gives me a lot of hope that like we are, we're we're going to make it through this, guys. We can do it. This being existence. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful episode of Reckless to Talk. <laughs> it was truly a delight. Thank you, Nathan. It was wonderful as expected. Again, thank you. Hope you all enjoyed listening at home. Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs>